Hi, I'm Nicole Haney. I'm a business coach who helps goal-driven business owners build the life and business of their dreams. In this podcast, I share tactical advice on building your business, mindset tips, and inspiring interviews to help you build your business and change your life. This is the Goals and Gratitude Podcast. Okay, so thank you so much, Carlin, for being here with us today. We really appreciate it. Of course. Uh, So why don't we start out just by you telling us a little bit about yourself and why it is you became an entrepreneur? So I guess I was kind of like born into it. My, uh, My father was an entrepreneur. He started a marketing company here in London called The Marketing Department. Um, you know, very to the point. Uh, and I've just always grown up kind of in that entrepreneurial household. You know, it wasn't that, you know, my my parents worked for some big company or anything like that. So I was just kind of born into it. It always sounded interesting. Um, and I don't really like to work for other people. Um, I like to work for myself. Not that it's like, oh, I like my own schedule because I work a ton. So I have less of a schedule than anyone else. But um, yeah, I've just, I've just always liked that idea of like building something, you making the decisions. Unfortunately, that comes with a lot of shortfalls a lot of the time too, but that comes with the territory. So yeah, I've just been born into it. I've always loved it. And um, yeah, that's kind of where I went from. So did you help your dad out then when you were a kid? Like, were you involved in his business and kind of doing odds and ends? So my very first job ever, I was there like, admin at the marketing office because on Fridays he used to let you know the employees leave at like one o'clock or something like that so I would manage the phones I got one call the whole time I did it it was my dad testing me to make sure I answered the phones right so that was funny uh but you know I wasn't really I was too young to be a part of the business um when he sold the company I was actually at school to do marketing so I followed his path in, in that direction but uh yeah he sold the company before I was basically able to get involved but I do remember when I was in um, high school, we did like a take your kid to work day. And I got to do, uh, I got to go and they did a big brainstorming meeting for some big project they were going uh, to do. So that was, that was really cool. And I think that brought me a little bit into like, I think marketing is really the direction I want to go just because that one day. Awesome. So that really sparked it for you. Yeah. Yeah. So then you decide to get into marketing and you actually have quite a bit of education in marketing. Is that right? I did the four year uh, program at Fanshawe, um, like the degree program to get my degree in, in digital marketing. So I did that. I went to school originally. I went to university out of high school. I went to Laurier for economics. That lasted a quick semester and a half. And then I was out of there and realized don't want to do economics. University isn't really the thing for me. So switch over to Fanshawe and then did that. Amazing. And so when you were at Fanshawe doing marketing, was the plan to get into marketing like a traditional marketing job? And is that kind of the direction your career took after school? Well, the direction was I was going to work for my dad. (laughs) That was kind of the plan. Originally, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, I kind of like weighed the pros and cons of do I want to work for a big company or do I want to work for a smaller company like an agency, big company stuff, lots of red tape, but you know, again, pros and cons. I think I was always leading to more 
towards the agency side just because I want the constant change. Yeah, you can really dive into something and like really, really know it. But I think the constant change, the constant like coming up with new ideas, I think that's where I kind of really thrived. And I think in an agency direction, that's really what you see. But out of school, um, I ended up getting a co-op position job. It's part of the the program at Fanshawe that you do a a semester as a co-op. I ended up doing a co-op for a real estate company and stuck there for about five years and worked there. Uh, I ended up getting a full-time job afterwards and just did marketing for five years there. And then that brought me to LaCorum. Awesome. Okay. So there was a bit of a, a journey there. And so you ended up getting into a real estate company. So totally different than what you had planned on, uh, which I feel like is always the way with entrepreneurs, right? Like we always think like, oh, this is my path. And then you get into it and you're like, oh no, like you did with economics, right? You were like, this is not the thing, right? Yeah, it was, I thought it was like one of the easier classes, weirdly enough, at when I took in university, like I, I enjoyed the class, but I was like, I don't want to do this. I'm not going to be an economist. That's not, that's too, although I am number driven, that just seems too like, you know, color in the lines. Okay. Okay. So is this why then, cause you said you like being an entrepreneur because you don't love working for other people. And is this why, cause you don't like to be kind of like trapped inside of one specific like box or one specific role. Yeah. And I think like in order to push the boundaries, you have to be able to do that. And you're not going to know where that line is until you basically cross it sometimes. So I think if there's a lot of red tape and there's a lot of other people making the decision, a lot of the time they're fearful of the outcome. They have, you know, shareholders to appease to or something like that. And they're not willing to take those risks. I'm a risky person, personality wise as well. I would rather push the boundaries. And if you're in one of those, you know, organizations, you just don't have the ability to do that. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. That's so true. Like I worked in corporate for like a decade basically. And I found myself getting to the same point too, where I was just like, I want to try to do different things. And like, no, I don't know if it's going to work, but like, just let me try to do it. Right. Cause if it does work, it's going to be so cool. And so that pushing of boundaries, I feel like is something that a lot of us have in common. Um, and so that is kind of what led you to entrepreneurship. Now, what would you say though? Cause you said you're a risk taker. And so if you're a risk taker, that means you're constantly trying things and trying new things and like pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone. So how do you deal then with the inevitable failure that sometimes comes from taking risks and trying new things? The first thing would be prepared to fail. (laughs) If you think that you're always going to succeed and you're number one, that's going to be your biggest downfall there. Because then when it doesn't happen, you're like, your whole world just crashed because you had all your eggs in one basket and you really thought it was going to work. And if it doesn't, it'll kill you. But if you think that like, I'm all in, I'm willing to do it, knowing that this might not work, that will help you a lot. But I think the mindset of like, I played sports growing up. So like as a competitive person, you're going to lose. It's not, you know, it's basically how fast you get up, right? That whole thing, like, yeah, you're going to fail. But if you have the strong enough, like mental game to be like, don't care. That's a, you know, every no is quicker to a yes. So let's move on and let's do it better. You'll learn from that one way faster than you will than if you're doing everything right. So take it with a grain of salt, brush it off, get up and keep going. 
Yeah. And so you're saying you basically just don't take it personally. It's like, if no. something doesn't work, you're like, okay, I tried something. It didn't work, but that doesn't mean that, you know, I failed as an entrepreneur. It doesn't mean I failed at my business. It doesn't mean I failed at my life. It literally is just, I tried something and it didn't work out. So I'm going to pick myself up, dust myself off and like try something different or try doing that same thing again. Right. Yeah. And it's, it, yeah, it's just all a mental state. Like if you're you know, I do sales. That's what I'm doing right now. So, you know, sometimes you'll do a whole week and you'll get 75 no's in a row and you got to go and dial that 76th call with a smile on your face, even though you just got rejected a million times in a row. So you just always have to look, like I said, every no is closer to your yes. So when you fail, look at it, review it, really dive into what went wrong. Cause sometimes it's not your fault. And that's why I said, you know, you might have to do it again and then it'll work the second time. So really dive into what the reason was, what you can do different and write it down. Come up with systems. That's a huge one for us. Like you really need to come up with systems because it's really hard to fix something if you don't know what it is. So I think, you know, even if you're writing a speech and you're like, like a, you know, a comedian, for instance, they write a joke and it doesn't hit. It doesn't mean they get rid of the joke. It means, okay, let's try and refigure that out and make sure that the punchline actually hits the way I want it to. Still there. You just got to adapt. Yeah, absolutely. So are you asking them for customer feedback? Like if you get Always. a no, you ask them, okay, can I ask why that is? Always. Yeah. Always, always, always. Because sometimes it's, again, it's out of your control. Oh, well, the price is, is just way too much. Okay, well, nothing I can do there. You know, yeah. for a lot of other people, the price was totally fine. So maybe it just wasn't in your budget. Maybe it's bad timing. Maybe, you know, just not the year. Can I call you in six months? Can we do something else? Maybe we can, you know, compromise somehow. But you always ask for the feedback because you're not going to know what you did wrong unless you ask. And I feel like it's a good point, too, that like sometimes a no isn't a no for forever, right? Like I love that idea of reapproaching people in six months or in a year, right? Because I used to do that with Boho all the time, too, where I would call a retailer and they would say, oh, we don't have the budget for this right now. And I would say to them, okay, well, that's totally fair if you don't have the budget right now. Do you think that if I was to call you back in a couple of months that you would have a fresh budget and it might be time to bring the product in at that point? And they would always say, yeah, absolutely. Give me a call back in a few months and we'll talk about it then and see if the timing is right. So it doesn't mean that it's a no forever. It doesn't mean that your product sucks. It doesn't mean that you are not doing all the right things as a salesperson. Um, or as an entrepreneur, it literally just means that that person's circumstances don't fit with what you're offering right now. Yeah. And you just need to ask. Yeah. Like, ask away. They'll tell you everything that's wrong and everything that they need. Yeah. That's like sales 101. Listen, and they'll tell you what the problem is. So how do you so, find the courage, though, to do that? Because I feel like so many of us are so afraid to ask why, because we don't want to hear negative feedback, right? I, other than suck it up, I don't really know what to say. <laughs> you have to take the feedback. You're not going to know what's in their head because yeah. you're going to think this thing is going to help you tremendously. It always is. And they're going to look at it and say, well, it's not going to help me for this reason, this reason, and this reason. But they're just going to tell you it's not going to work. You need to find out what those three things are because maybe an adaptation, if every person that you're talking to has the same issue, maybe you're trying to push a product or a solution that you're actually not solving their problem. You need to listen to what their problem are, fix that. So as far as like 
how do I have the courage to do this? I've just never been one to be afraid to do it. And again, as the person behind the driver's seat, who else is going to drive the car? I have to ask to figure out what direction we're going to go. Yeah. I love that advice so much because I feel like there's a lot of rhetoric right now around like, how do I stay motivated? How do I stay inspired? Like, how do I get into the mood to do X, Y, and Z? And I just feel like you can't sit around waiting for motivation. Like there are so many things in your business that you have to do, even if you don't feel like doing them. And you have to do them even if it makes you uncomfortable like asking why is it that you're saying no there's so many things that it's like running a business isn't easy right like if it was easy everybody would be an entrepreneur and you have to be willing to put in the hard work and do the uncomfortable things in order to be successful and that's part of pushing the boundaries it doesn't mean just like oh from the forward-facing marketing i want to push the boundaries on like copy or an image or something like that Pushing the boundaries has to go with yourself too. You got to push your boundaries of what you're comfortable in. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I want to go back to um, kind of your entrepreneurial journey and how you got to where you are right now, because you and I met when you were working for the real estate company. Um, so this yeah. was years ago now, right? Uh, but at the time you were already doing freelance videography. Is that right? Uh Correct. Yeah, I was doing freelance videography and photography while I worked for this real estate company and was doing a lot of videography for them as well. So just picked up some side jobs and stuff. Okay. I was meeting lots of people like yourself. So it was pretty easy to make connections that way. For sure. Absolutely. Well, what got you into the videography in the first place? Like what made you decide to offer that as a service to people? Because a lot of people like the arts, they like, you know, videography, photography, things like that. But it always kind of stays in the background as a hobby versus you decided to pursue it as a service you were going to offer to people. It was literally a hobby. I got a GoPro because I like to snowboard and I wanted to record us going off jumps and stuff. So bought a GoPro, made a couple videos of just like my buddies, you know, screwing around and then did a couple like vacation videos with like a bunch of friends when we went camping and stuff like that. So I just liked it. I thought it was fun. I thought it was like a creative outlet. Um, like I used to like paint and draw and stuff in high school. I don't really do that anymore. So this is kind of my like medium to to do that as an outlet. And it was just fun. Then when I got hired for the real estate company, a big portion of what they wanted to do was do a lot of community involvement stuff. So a lot of videos with entrepreneurs like yourself uh, to meet people and kind of network that way. So I was in charge of doing all those videos. Now, the expectation when I got hired was that these are not going to be, you know, cinematic quality videos. These are probably going to be pretty bad to start. That was okay. He let me do that, which was awesome. Uh, my boss, Matt Santagafeta. So I learned a lot, but he basically said, here's the deep end swim. So again, you have to have the courage and uh, I'm willing to fall on my face a bunch of times. And, you know, when I did the videos, I thought these are pretty good. Looking back, I'm like, oh my God, those are horrendous. We all do that though. We all do that, right? It's like you have to start somewhere and you start out with the best that you can do at that point in time. And then you get better as you go, like everybody starts there. Yeah. And I was literally pumping out like five to 10 videos a week. So if you're doing it all the time, you're obviously going to get better. Your efficiency is going to get better. The way you look at things are going to get better. So it just like naturally got better because that's what I was doing at my job every day. And then a lot of people would see the content and say, Hey, I know somebody that needs a video. I know somebody that needs a video. And it just kind of like happened organically. I wasn't out here like 
putting out ads and telling a million people that I do videography. It just kind of happened because I was pretty well connected and a lot of people hired me that way. And it just kind of spiraled into its own little marketing company, if that's what we want to call it. But yeah, I just did a lot of videography and then I ended up getting some pretty cool clients. I worked with some NHL players, um, some like Damian Warner, the Olympic decathlete. So um, yeah, some pretty cool connections that way. It just kind of all happened organically. That's amazing. That's amazing. Um, and I love that you did it so organically, like you didn't pursue it as a business necessarily. You just kind of like decided to do something that you already love doing. And I feel like the reason you probably had so much success is because people could see your passion behind it. Yeah. yeah I like, I liked to do it. I did one job for money. I got burned on that job and I said, I'll never do my job for money again. I was going away to Europe. I was like, maybe I can try and get this gig and get a whole bunch of money before I, you know, pay for my flight and stuff like that. Ended up getting burned. I'm not going to say anybody's name or anything, but uh, you know, I was like, I don't, I don't think I'm going to do this for money anymore. That's not the point. So I've turned down lots of jobs because I'm like, just doesn't, not a good fit. Yep. Not that I can't execute on the video. I just, not my, not my style here. So, for sure. you know, I can recommend you to some other people, but just not my style. I want to do everything that I want to do because yeah. it is a fun little side project. And exactly that, if I'm not passionate about it, the result in the video is going to show. Yes. Yes. I've had so many conversations lately with uh, various people about this topic of like, People get into business because they have a love and a passion for what they want to do and they get into it and they're like, this is awesome. I get to like be creative and do all these cool things. But then very quickly, people will start to realize like, oh, crap, I actually have to make money at this because I need to like put food on my table or whatever it is. Um, and that's when things start to kind of go downhill because that's when people get really like salesy. And people can feel your passion for it slipping. And that doesn't translate into sales, right? Like people want to get behind you as an entrepreneur and your story and why you're passionate. And that's what they want to buy. They don't want to buy a video, right? And so I feel like you're absolutely right. Like we all have to try to tap back into that passion that started everything in order to be more successful. And it's hard. It's not easy, right? Because when the pressure's on, that's when you start to be like, oh, crap. Like, what am I going to do? How, like, how many times do I have to post to Instagram every day in order to like get sales? And you start to freak out about it. But if we can kind of pull back and get to a point where our passion's coming through again, that literally translates into better growth and better sales. A lot of time that's your wake up call. Yeah. When you start sure. to have those sleepless nights and you're trying to freak out a little bit, that's when you kind of need to take a step back, look at your systems, look at what's working, look at what's not working, change it. So, okay. So you're doing the videography, you're working for the real estate agency, and then you decide to start another business. So you decide to start the mulch man, right? Okay, I was like, which one are we going to talk about now? Yeah, <laughs> you have a lot going on and we're going to dive into how you manage everything um, on a day-to-day -day basis. But first, tell us a little bit about the mulch man and how this came to be. <laughs> the mulch man, like many great ideas that come out from me, came from my dad. So uh, when I was like 16, he's like, you know what you should do? You should start a mulch company all you're going to do is mulch and you're going to call it the mulch man. And I was like, I don't have a truck. I'm 16 years old. I have no idea what you're talking about. 
And he's like, just look, as we were just driving home one day, I don't know, from soccer or something. And he's like, look, every house has mulch. Every single house has mulch. They got to do it every year. Just do that. Fast forward like four years later, he had a truck. And I said, hey, dad, I think I'm going to do that mulch man thing this year. And he's like, yeah. Said, if you let me borrow your truck, I'll try it for a summer. Said, all right, give it a go. We chalked up a logo, made a flyer, started putting that in some mailboxes around you know the neighborhood, started getting a lot of calls, more calls than I expected. And uh, yeah, very first job, lost $150 on. So we started started low because we didn't know how to price. We didn't, we didn't know how to quote. We didn't know how to price. We didn't know how to you know measure. We didn't know how to do anything. Uh, so we absolutely bombed that job. But that was the only job that we lost money on, obviously, from that point forward. Quick lesson to be learned. But, uh, you know, moving on. So from there, the mulch main has just grown year over year. We're getting new territories, lots of new employees. So it was not as organic as the videography that all just kind of like fell into my lap, which was fantastic. This one was a lot more work coming up with the marketing because we had to come up with everything. I had no idea how to do anything. Yes. Could I do the accounting side from an Excel sheet? hundred percent. That stuff's easy to learn that in school, but like, how do you measure? How do you quote? How do you deal with the clients? How do you, you know, make sure that everything is organized from deliveries to having enough equipment to that, to the labor, to getting everyone paid and all that stuff. So that came with a lot of learning. Um, but I can say we're in our fifth year right now, which is, which is awesome. So we just started, you know, promoting ourselves this year. So yeah, super excited to see what this year has got in store. Amazing. And how many employees are you at now? Uh, last year, I think we had like 10 guys that were working for us, um, in the summer. So all of them just like part-time, um, they would just, you know, pick a couple of days a week and Saturdays and stuff and, and work and, it's always a good time because it's just a big group of guys that I'm all friends with anyway. So, you know, it's an easy grab a beer after and, and hang out and yeah, it's good stuff. Awesome. That's fantastic. Uh, so how, did you find that there was a learning, a bit of a learning curve to being an employer and like, how do you balance like being a friend to these guys with also like being an employer? Yeah, that one's always a hard one because it's like, you know, they can say things, oh, you know, relax, relax. And it's like, when we're here, I'm your boss. I still try and be as friendly as possible. I'm not going to say like, this is a dictatorship. You're going to do exactly what I say. But at the same time, like I've done this, I have the expertise. I know exactly what I'm talking about. I've done 250 houses. You got to listen to me. The only reason I'm telling you to do things is because it's going to help you. I'm not doing this thing to knock you. And it's as simple as there's a faster way to put the wheelbarrow in the back of the truck than what you're doing. I know it sounds stupid, but when you do 250 houses wrong, you want a faster way to get out of there. So all the things that I'm telling these people, it's like, I'm just trying to do this more efficient for everybody. Yep. And the more efficient we are, the more money we make, the more money you're going to make. Yeah. So I think the key to that is always explaining the why. And I can't remember the book right off the top of my head. It's that one like army general extreme ownership. Okay. Okay. So extreme ownership says you have to take ownership. As the boss, you have to take ownership all the time. If your employee screws up, it's your fault, not theirs. And you have to explain to everybody why it's your fault because you obviously did not do something that would have told that person to not do that. If they know what all their roles and responsibilities are, they should have never made that mistake. So it should be your responsibility to take ownership of all those mistakes. And part of that is explaining the why. And that really resonated with me because in the past, I would just say like, do it this way. It's better but I wouldn't explain why it's better or what the difference would be. So something 
as silly as when you want to spread the mulch out and it's kind of bumpy, flip the rake over upside down so it doesn't hook into the piles. I know it sounds ridiculous, but like I would just be like, flip it over and do it that way. Versus the reason that you do this is because it'll smooth it out faster and blah, blah, blah. I think explaining the why helps everyone know what the game plan is. And as long as everyone's on the same page, you shouldn't be running into a ton of problems. Yeah. Uh, And I, I love that because I feel like in any business, efficiency is so key. Like I found that with production for Boho, it was like there were such small little efficiencies that we incorporated on a regular basis even insofar as like where all the equipment was stored within our kitchen space, it's like having to take, you know, two steps instead of having to take five steps really increases efficiency exponentially, right? Because over the course of a day and doing however many batches, that's going to improve everything. Um, And so I, I love that you're telling them why it is and that it improves efficiency and makes it faster, but also like how it's going to benefit them. And saying, because I think a lot of employees think like, okay, yeah, you just want me to go faster so you can make more money, right? But the reality is, is that if you are, you know, a good employer and you're a decent human being and you really want to help your employees out as well and help them make a living wage, then you want to pass that along to them too. And so being able to say like, it's not just so I can pad my pockets a little bit more, like I'm not, you know, Elon Musk, like we're not billionaires here, right? Like we're just trying to put food on our table as entrepreneurs, but also if we can be a bit more efficient and as a company make more money, then that's going to get passed down to you in the form of, you know, raises and bonuses and things that will help you improve your life as well. Right. Exactly. And same thing. Listen to them. They're just like, they're like your customer the same way. They'll tell you exactly what they want. Um, Okay. So then you had mentioned that this was totally different from the videography insofar as that you had to go out and actually get the customers. And so what did you do in terms of marketing in order to get those customers into your business? So you'd think the guy who went to school for digital marketing and did five years of running Google and Facebook ads would be running online ads. I fired mailboxes. Interesting. I I did the opposite. I went old school flyering. Okay. So I did it for two reasons. One, lots of competition online, lots of ads, landscaping ads, not that sexy to begin with anyway. So is it just going to be one of those things that, you know, we call them thumb stoppers when you're scrolling? Is it going to be a thumb stopper that catches your eye? Probably not. There's nothing really that I can do from a landscape perspective that's going to be like, wow, that's fantastic. I'm not installing pools where I can be like, look at this incredible backyard. Not the same thing. The other thing is our demographic. Our demographic would be on Google or Facebook, for sure. They're not ones to do things from ads. They're not going to buy something or hire somebody from an ad because they still think that the internet is going to steal their credit card and take all their money. So they don't take those actions online. But what they will do is they're going to open their door, look at the mail and go, yeah, honey, we need some mulch. Every house has it. So the key to any ad is to get the person at the right time. Well, the right time for somebody who's scrolling on their phone, maybe at work, maybe driving, who knows, is not at their house looking at their lawn. The person who opens up their mailbox and takes a flyer out that says mulch man while they're looking at their lawn is in the right place to make the decision of we need this right now. So I wanted to get them at that point. I wanted to get them at home more specifically. And 
Flyering is pretty inexpensive if you buy a lot of flyers. The problem is you got to deliver them house to house. So we don't we don't do Canada Post. Way too much money, like ridiculously expensive. So get some high school kids and you know want to make some cash on the side, start delivering some flyers and some mailboxes. So first two years it was that's what I did every night until like midnight, <laughs> just go and deliver flyers in the dark um, because I didn't want to pay anyone because we didn't know if it was going to work and all that stuff. We were trying to like really save the money to put into the business at the time. Uh, we didn't want to go too far in debt in case this all didn't work. Um, but yeah, so we just fired mailboxes and that's literally still what we do. We work 50, maybe 60% off referrals right now, uh, referrals and repeats, but we're always looking for more clients. So I've really targeted one area, all of like North London, basically for basically five years now and firing all those neighborhoods. So we're moving on now. I don't think we need to fire those neighborhoods. I got a few calls this year. Hey, how'd you hear about us? I remembered the name. Yeah. Perfect. So just like my dad, the marketing com- the marketing department, marketing company, the mulch man does mulch. So again, right to the point, no one has to remember anything. Yeah. Do you know what's wild? I actually heard about the mulch man before I knew it was you. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> yeah, that's good marketing right there, right? And like, had I known it was you, I probably would have hired you immediately. Mm-hmm. But like, as soon as you said, I run the mulch man, because we were talking about this not too long ago. And I was like, that's you? Are you kidding? Like, I had no idea. But it is good branding, right? Because people do, it's very quick and snappy. People know exactly what you do right off the hop, and they remember it. Yeah. And it's not like, you know, Carlin Farina landscaping, like, oh, do you guys do Riverstone? Do you do driveways? Do you build decks? Do you? Nope. I do mulch. I'm not going to cut your grass. I'm not going to cut your trees. I'm not going to deal with rocks. I'm not the rock man. I'm the mulch man. Um, Okay. So then you have the mulch man. You've got your freelance videography. You're working at the real estate agency. And then decided to launch yet another business. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> <laughs> Why not just add to it? You know what? I heard somewhere that if you want something done, give it to a busy person because a busy person will find a way to just like squeeze it into their schedule. And it, it's no skin off their back. If it's something that's, you know, quick and easy to do, they're just like, sure, no problem. I'll fit that in, you know, between doing my social media posts and talking to this client, like not a big deal. Um, so Tell the audience about Lacorum, what it is and why it is that you decided to take on another business. Yeah. So Lacorum started basically as a marketing company. So from that real estate company, uh, we started a marketing company. We were doing a lot of videos for community involvement stuff, a lot meeting a lot of entrepreneurs, doing stuff with like the Western Fair and, and you know things like that. And then they all started reaching out to us and saying, well, this content's really, really good. Can we hire you to do the marketing? So we were getting basically jobs as a marketing company. So that's kind of how Lacorum originated. Started as a marketing company, doing lots of stuff for people in London. Then we wanted to help small businesses a little bit more. So we created a store, an e-commerce store, funny enough. And we were trying to sell products, hats, sweaters, soap, you know, all that, necklaces, all that stuff from a bunch of local businesses. I think we had like 80 on in London. And um, we quickly realized that a lot of people that were asking us for help were actually service-based businesses. It wasn't the product-based businesses. They have a million solution. Etsy, Amazon, Facebook Marketplace, Instagram. You can sell your products everywhere. Where do you sell your services? You have to have your own website and then promote it, probably on Google or Facebook. And then you have to have your own social media to run all that stuff. 
service-based businesses, tradespeople, electricians, plumbers, landscape companies, they, that's not what they went to school for. That's not what their expertise is. And it's crazy expensive to hire people to run all this. So like, where's the plug and play solution for services? There's tons, even Shopify, we'll call it plug and play, but it's a little bit more robust than that. But you know, there's other solutions for these product-based businesses. Services didn't really have anything. So we kind of identified that there was a bit of a hole there. So like I said, we took a step back. We looked at what people were saying and saying, we're not actually solving a problem because these people already have the solution. These people don't have the solution. They're the target. That's kind of how Lacorum was born. So what Lacorum is, it's a two-sided marketplace, essentially, in that sense. We've got our one set of customers, which are businesses. This is who we sell to. We help businesses run an incentive and referral program so they can run a rewards program. Easiest way to explain what that is, think of like Uber. After your first Uber ride, you get a pop-up that says, invite your friend to join the app. We'll give you $10 off your next ride when your friend signs up. When the friend signs up, they get $10 off their first ride. That is an incentive and referral program from Uber. Their budget, $10, $20. $10 goes to you for in introducing the friend. $10 goes to this friend when they actually sign up. We take that model and we plug it into every service-based business. So you can send referrals to businesses and earn cash. We have a partnership with MasterCard. So anyone who earns any money through Lacorum, they get it loaded. Actually got one here. Loaded on a preloaded Lacorum MasterCard. So that's how they get their money. You can also hire these businesses and earn their money that way. So it's a bit of a referral network because we know that service-based businesses essentially rely on referrals way more than any other business. Yet they have no way to capitalize or monetize that section of their business. Every business owner, ask anyone who owns a service, what do you do for referrals? I ask for them. What else? Nothing. There's nothing else to do. What else would you do? Product-based businesses already have this referral program, you know, sign up for a newsletter, get 25% off, invite your friend to our thing and, you know, get $10 off your next order. They already have those because in order to get a referral program in place, you need two things in the past. You need a click or you need a download. Meaning I have to click a button to buy something or I have to like download an ebook or something. Well, if you're an electrician, what are those options? You're not doing either of those things. You're not hiring your electrician by buying something on a, on a store online. So we try and monetize that referral aspect for these businesses to help them grow their referrals because we know that customers are way more likely, tons of data that says they're four times more likely to send your referral if they're incentivized to do so. Just like that Uber example, that was $10. You can earn $10,000 if you hire a real estate agent, hire a mortgage broker and get a moving company on the corner. All cash back in your pocket. Wow. So, so for the businesses, we help them run the referral program. For customers, we're basically Canada's largest uh, homeowners rewards program, meaning you can hire everything for your home, electricians, plumbers, landscapers, you know, painters, things like that. And you can earn cash back on all of them. And you can also make funny money if you're sending them referrals. That's awesome. And I feel like for the customer side of things too, like it's such a one-stop shop, right? Like you don't have to be, you know, talking to friends and family and trying to outsource every single thing when you're moving or when you're doing a renovation or something like that, right? Because there's so many different tradespeople that you need to bring in and how are you going to find all of them, right? And again, there's, there's other companies that offer similar solutions in the sense that there's a, a directory, almost like a yellow pages, like house.com, for instance. House.com is like, there's lots of contractors on there, but it's just contractors. Ours are every service-based business plus 
Ours is the only one with that cashback referral component. All the other ones are basically just for convenience. Look at all these painters in one spot. Look at all these dentists in one spot and you can hire them that way. But like you said, ours is kind of full encompassing for all of your homeowner stuff. Amazing. So convenience and you make money while you're at it, right? Yeah. I mean, who would say no to that? Gosh, absolutely nothing to sign up. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. I love too how like in all of your businesses, you have framed it as like there's a gap in the market or there's a problem or there's a need that's not being addressed. And how can we provide this solution to people, right? Because that's where the best businesses are made. That's how you find your product market fit is figuring out like what problem are these people experiencing and what solution do they need in order to solve that problem for themselves? Yeah. And like, we basically just took the approach of we're going to do the opposite of what everybody else does. Every other company that asks you for lead gen, they'll do lead gen. They'll run Google and Facebook ads. They'll try and generate leads for you, cold leads, and then sell them to you. Sometimes they'll sell them to you and 20 other people. Ours is the complete opposite. These businesses do not pay anything based on the, like the leads that come in. They never pay for leads. If the lead doesn't work out, it costs the business nothing. Most lead gen companies, you pay per lead, whether they work out, ever answer the phone or not. So we're saying, we know that online lead gen converts one to 3%, 3% if you really know what you're doing, meaning you have to vet 97 people to find somebody who's even willing to move forward. Referrals convert at 95%. So instead of spending all your money on these other ad platforms that aren't performing very well and getting very expensive and confusing, shift it, spend your money on your database. They're the ones that already put money in your pocket anyways promote it to them. Win, win, win. Your clients are going to get money. Your referral partner is going to get money. You're going to get money. Yeah. And if you're asking for referrals anyways, right? Like you said, when you speak to service-based businesses, how do you get referrals? Well, I ask for them. Okay. Well, if you're asking for them anyways, ask for them, point them in the direction of your listing on Lacorum and tell them you can make some money here if you refer me as well. Right? Yeah. Cause not everyone, like for instance, I bought a house two years ago. I'm not in the market to buy another house anytime soon. So like to my realtor, I'm like dead to him. Yeah. He doesn't need to hire. Like I'm not going to hire him anytime soon, probably not for another four or five years. So if that just vanishes, then, you know, I'm just sitting duck there. If I know that I can bring, bring him a deal and get $600 and my friend will also get $600, I'm motivated to bring him more business. Heck yeah. Why wouldn't you? Amazing. Okay. So now then at this point, you've got your videography, you've got the mulch man, you've got Lacorum, you're doing a lot. You're doing a lot. So how do you find some semblance of like work life balance? Like how do you balance everything? How are you doing everything? If you'd add, depending on who you ask, the answer would be, there's not a lot of balance. <laughs> yeah. The mulch season is very short. I work from, I, I quote in April, we start laying mulch May basically to July. Once July is over and it's summer and it's August, like I get the odd job here and there because somebody installed a pool or something like that. So it's a very short window of working a lot. For the last, you know, three, four years, I've been building that to a point where I'm hoping this year I can start to step away a little bit from putting in so many hours. I've, I don't do much of the labor anymore, anymore, which is fantastic. I, you know, I broke my back doing that already. So I don't do much of the labor anymore. So I have a lot of people that will help me with that side of things. So as far as balance goes, it's tough to do because I'm working 60, 80 hours a week at Lacorum and then working 40, 
plus hours a week at the mulch man. So not a whole lot of free time, but it doesn't bother me because I like to do both sides. So it's not that I'm like, oh, I'm dreading another day at work. I'm like excited to like, okay, I can't wait to dial, do all these calls, get all these sales in and then go and jump and do the next thing. And then when I come home, write some invoices, do stuff and, you know, do all the the fun accounting things that nobody likes to do and some of the marketing and emails and stuff like that. And then basically go to bed and start all over again. So uh, I don't have a lot of balance. I will say it's probably not like the most healthy thing of all time, but if you're okay doing it, I think that's probably the best thing. Cause a lot of people are just like, they'll get burnt out because working 16 hours a day for three months can kill you. So I like it. I like to work. I've always liked to work. I'm not, I don't play video games. You know, I'm not crushing call of duty or anything like that. So like my spare time generally is trying to work to something. So yeah, yeah, I just like to do it. So, um, yeah. Okay. (laughs) I feel like we need to talk about this for a minute because I have some, I guess, unconventional ideas around burnout, because I think a lot of people think that burnout comes from working too much, just in general, like working long hours. And what you're saying is that I'm working really long hours and I'm not experiencing burnout. And so my theory on this is that you're not experiencing burnout because like you said, you, you actually enjoy what you're doing. So I think that burnout doesn't come from working too many hours. I think that burnout comes from working on too many things that you don't actually enjoy doing or don't bring you joy long-term, right? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, hundred percent. And I think burnout can often be confused with lack of success. If you're not seeing success, your lack of motivation could be looked at as burnout. Like, oh, I put in all these hours and nothing's happening. And I'm just like, oh, I'm just, I'm just over it. And that's your burnout. But your burnout's not from working because if it was working, you would work more. Yeah, exactly. Take, take a step back, look at what you're doing, reevaluate, fix the things. Because when you start to see success, like the mulch man, that first job when we got burned, I'm like, what are we even doing here? <laughs> <laughs> but sure. now that it's rolling, and we've got lots of repeats and lots of people calling us and referring us to their friends and things like it's, it's like, it's easy. It's fun. It's not as stressful. I think the stress is what people kind of confuse with burnout. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I couldn't agree more with that. When things are hard, that's when you start to be like, man, like, why did I make the choice to be an entrepreneur? Like, why am I, what are we doing here? Why am I doing this? Like, maybe I should just go back to having a regular desk job again. And that's when you start to just feel like you are working so hard and grinding it out and you're not seeing any success or any traction. And so maybe the solution to that burnout then doesn't come from, you know, a self-care day and having like a bubble bath or something like that. Maybe the solution to that is looking at the traction that you have made. So recognizing those small wins, right? Because regardless of whether you're making that big win and things are going really, really well, even in the early days, there are small things that you can look at and appreciate I am actually making traction. You know, I got this like small client or I had this opportunity to present to a big client or whatever it is, you can see those as small wins and see those as traction. So I think a lot of times it's just, like you said, taking that step back and just really recognizing like things are moving forward. They are moving in the right direction. It's just 
really hard in the early days. For sure. And I think you nailed it. If you have too many things going on, you're never going to get them done. Yeah. So, you know, make a pile. These are all the things I can do in the next five minutes. These are all the next things I can do in the next two hours. These are all the next things I can do in the next day, week, every day. Look at that pile because I guarantee you what you can do in the day is going to move to the week and what you can do in the week can be in the month and that you're going to prioritize what's really important at the beginning. Yeah. So I think if you have too many things on the go, you just get overwhelmed, clouded. And, you know, if you have 10 things to do, you're going to get none done. If you have two things to do, you'll get them both done. Yeah. And prioritizing, right? Like I always say to my clients, you have to prioritize revenue generating activities, especially in the early days, because those are the things that are going to make you feel like you are making traction and that's going to make you feel more motivated. It's going to make you feel better about continuing to put one foot in front of another day in and day out, right? Like this isn't easy. This, especially in the early days, like a lot of times it does just feel like a bit of a grind. And there are seasons in your business where you're going to have to put in longer hours and put in a bit more work. But the way to get through that is to prioritize things that are going to help you feel that movement and feel that traction. The rest of the stuff can wait, right? I had a client that um, their priority was to get their product into retail stores. And every time I talked to them, I was like, oh, what do you, what have you been working on this week? And they were like, well, we're really trying to perfect our Google presence and, you know, make the Google My Business like really stand out and, and all of those things. And I was like, but if that's not your goal, like if your goal is literally to get your products into stores, that's what we need to be focused on. Right. And like, is perfecting your Google presence, you know, a great goal to have? Absolutely. But that's not going to make you see traction towards what you're trying to do right now. And so we have to like refocus on what it is you're trying to achieve and push that forward first. And then we can always come back to the Google, my business in the future. Right. For sure. And I think a big help is who you're surrounded by. Yeah. I think that can alleviate a lot of stress too. If, if you've got, whether you're both in it together and you're both, you know, it's not going well, at least if you have somebody there that can help you kind of get out of that rut, I guess, and, and help continue to motivate you. That's also, that'll help you tenfold. For sure. Surrounding yourself with like-minded people, with other entrepreneurs that are in your industry or not, because we all get it. Like we all, we've all been there. We've all had the sleepless nights being like, why did I decide to do this with my life? Like we get it. Right. And so I think that is really valuable and really important. Now before, cause I know we're getting close to the end of our time, but I think my audience would kill me if I did not ask you about marketing because you are a marketing professional, you went to school for marketing, and I feel like you probably have a lot to say around this topic. Um, so I think the most important thing to talk about, the biggest thing that comes to people's minds when you say marketing is of course, social media. Um, but social media has become exceedingly difficult over the last few years. Is there anything that you have found that works to help people gain a bit more traction on social media, or is that even where they should be spending their time at this point? Completely depends on the business. hundred percent. If you're selling something that, you know, has some sort of virality aspect to it, that's product-based that you think a lot of, you know, influencers can share and you can get the word out that way. And people are, you know, there's lots of positive response because it's, it's shareable like that. Go for it. 
Social media might be a great avenue for you to promote. That also gives you a massive audience potential. If you sell a product, a pair of shoes, you can sell it to anyone in the world. You just ship it across the world. I cannot do that. So for the mulch man, that does not exist all over the world. I have a very finite group of people that I can actually target. So it depends on the business. It also depends on what you are doing from a positioning standpoint. Because some things, for instance, are searched. You are going to only find this thing if you're looking for the solution. Facebook, Instagram, those aren't search engines the way that Google is a search engine. So maybe your focus should be focused on Google pay-per-click because somebody's looking for the solution. They're not going to go and search on Facebook for it. If they're searching for things and you think, uh, yeah, people are going to find me on Google, YouTube. YouTube is the second biggest search engine in the world behind Google. Who owns it? Google. Who's going to give more credibility to anybody else? Google. So don't put your videos on Vemo or anything like that. Put them on YouTube. It is the second biggest search engine in the world. If you're being searched and you think that there are certain key phrases and things that will help you find your business, make a video and put it on YouTube because Google will credit your video onto the Google search. Having a Google business profile, regardless of what your business is, for sure, for sure. People use Google, obviously, almost all the time. If you're being searched, staying on that topic, Bing. I know it sounds ridiculous, Bing search. They're not much more expensive or much cheaper than Google pay-per-click. If you own an office job and you have a computer from the company, schools, hospitals, things like that, your desktop browser default is Bing. Wow. So you will actually get a lot of professionals using Bing at work, searching for things. Wow. That's interesting. I never would have thought of Bing. And I don't think most people would. No, but it's not that much more or not much cheaper. They're relatively the same cost. Um, You might have a higher click through rate because of the intent of of those. And there's not as much volume, but that's another place to be searched. So you got to understand like what your consumer is doing to find your product. Like that mulch man, where are the people looking? They're not looking. I have to tell them that they need my thing because they don't know that it exists. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to try and get them at home when they're ready to make that decision. That's why I do the flyering. So depending on what you're trying to achieve, it all depends on the business. So things on social, if you can, if your company allows that you can really push the boundaries because you're doing something cool and crazy, social media is a great avenue to get some more attention the ability to share, the ability to send in messages and things like that. And as you mentioned, it's changed quite dramatically. And I'll even say basically since Cambridge Cambridge Analytica, as soon as that came out and then all the changes came from how the ads were done and, you know, the iOS update that just burned a whole bunch of people, people are looking for new avenues to market because it's not translating the same way. You also need to know your demographic. If you're targeting 50 plus year olds, they're not on TikTok. They're starting to be, but that's not where you're going to find them. You're going to find them on Facebook. Younger, you know, millennial era, you know, Instagram, super, super heavy. You know, Gen Zs, they're all on, on TikTok. But again, just because you're on TikTok does not mean that this is going to work for you because it doesn't always make sense. Just because your TikTok video got 3 million views and all your other ones have 400 does not mean that TikTok should be your avenue to pursue. TikTok's algorithm is different than all the other platforms' algorithm, that they reward the individual content versus the, the profile itself 
if you have a large Instagram following, they'll automatically like bump you up and say like you have credibility on on TikTok. They don't care at all about whatever content you've made. It's just that one piece. If it goes viral, they'll blast it out. So it's a bit different. So you also have to look at it and be like, well, this worked. Look at this. I got 10 million views. Like I have to pursue this. Not always the case. You have to understand your audience more than anything. Where are they? What are they doing? What actions would they take to find you? What actions would they take to research something that would help them find you and try and get in that way? Yeah. Does that answer your question? I know it was a little long. No, that was fantastic, <laughs> honestly, because I think so many people are so hyper-focused on social media, specifically Instagram and TikTok being the way that they're going to make their business blow up. And this is, everybody believes this. And in part, I think that it's because this is the message that we're given from Instagram and TikTok, right? Is like, if you, if you want your business to, to blow up, then make sure that you go viral. Make sure you're using our platform 24 seven, scroll for content ideas and then be posting. And people are spending hours upon hours upon hours on social media. And it's not necessarily your best avenue for getting more clients or more paying customers, right? Um, I loved what you were saying about how even if you figure it out and you figure out how to go viral, it doesn't necessarily translate to sales either. Because I, I had that experience too. I went, um, I like to call it like baby viral <laughs> a couple of times because I had a couple of videos that went out to like 80,000 people or like 60,000 people or 40,000 people. So not millions, but still a, a decent sized audience. Like, can you imagine being in a room with 80,000 people, right? That's how many people saw that one video of mine. It translated to maybe like two followers and no sales, right? Like social media isn't the end all be all. And so I like that you positioned your answer in saying like, you need to know who your customer is and what their behavior is to try and find your type of product or service. Yeah. Like infomercials still exist, which is hilarious. Like that people will find the products on an infomercial sitting at their TV at three in the morning. You wouldn't think that that still works. They're still all around, you know, yep. the sham wow guy and the, the slap chop and like, it's, they still exist. They still work. It's, you yep. just got to listen to your audience. And like, I would say from a social media standpoint, I wouldn't not do it. Regardless of your business, I would do it to some degree. Do you have to post four times a day? Absolutely not. But I would be present. Now, like for the mulch man, I'm not going to go on Twitter. That doesn't make any sense at all. So you don't have to be everywhere, but you should be at least in a couple of places because people want to do homework. They want to go. They want to learn about the team. They want to see your past work. They want to you know, read testimonials, whatever it is. So if you have a couple outlets that they can at least explore that to start, that will allow you to do something like 91% of customers will look up a business before they do anything with them. So you're bound to like have reviews be read and content be reviewed. So have something. Because if they can't find anything, they're probably just not going to move forward because they might not think you're real or this could be a fake account or something like that. So try and have them. And if you are going to do them, try and make them consistent. Try and make your handles all the same. Try and do that. That's a for sure, for sure, because it will save you a ton of space on other material. If you're doing a printout and all your things are different and you have to put each individual handle, that's a lot of copy that's taking up on your printout. If you have one that's all the same, done. 
Amazing. It sounds like you know this from experience. <laughs> yeah, I've done it a few times. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, so last question then. Um, if people want to learn more about Lacorum or about the Mulchman or your videography, how can they find out about you? Where can they follow you? What are your socials? Uh, yeah, I'm basically all over the place. Kind of silly if I wasn't. Uh, if you need anything Lacorum related, you can go to lacorumpro.com. You book a demo that'll be my link you can book a demo with me uh basically if you need anything else facebook i'm the only carlin farina on facebook so it'll be pretty hard to not find me and uh linkedin those are kind of two easy ways that if you want to get hold of me for whatever reason do it Mulchman has all the social accounts if you need some mulch and you want a quote give me a shout happy to come out Amazing. Okay. Thank you so much, Carlin, for being here with us today and for sharing all of your advice and wisdom about running multiple businesses and staying focused. Um, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. No problem.